And a random fact about me was that a few weeks ago I was in London and I managed to catch concerts of Stuart Copeland and of Dave Weckl in the same evening. If you are a drummer, this means the world to you and you're gonna say, whoa, this sounds so cool. If you're not a drummer, then these are just two random names put on the table and you're just gonna go, what is this guy talking about? So anyway, that was my random fact for today. Uh, hi Tom, everybody, go. my name is Tom. I'm the a little bit less enthusiastic designer in this duo and I have no idea who those people are, but I'm assuming it's like Bon Jovi and uh, Rod Stewart of Drumming World ish uh, uh a random fact about me is so that i love a show called boston legal and it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago and my wife got me a bobblehead from the show with the character of danny crane that says danny and uh i love that i saw it on a show and danny was playing with himself and i said oh i would love to have that and <clears throat> obviously the show has been airing for 15 years and the Figures haven't been selling, but my wife found it in an antique store and got it in original condition. So, good for me. Um, we have a guest today, and uh, Mario, I'm going to let you introduce our guest. Yes, we have Erin Peters with us today. Erin is amazing. I've worked with Erin before. Erin kicks ass, but I won't be introducing Erin. She's going to introduce Welcome, herself. Erin. So, Erin, go. Great. Having me. Excited to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm Erin. I'm a freelancing expert and marketplace nerd. So Mario and I have crossed paths quite a few times. I'm Canadian living in London, but a more interesting fact about me is that my very first job, I was actually 13, washing dishes, but I was too young to drive back and forth to my job in a car because I didn't have a license, but I did have my fishing boat license. So I drove uh, a boat back and forth to work every day for like two summers and <laughs> earned some pocket cash for the year. So. Yeah, I could parallel park a fishing boat like nobody's business. <laughs> I think that's the best random fact we had on the show. Is it common for teenagers to yep. drive fishing boats in Canada? Uh, if you grew up on lakes, I think it's quite common to drive any type of watercraft. But uh, yeah, you gradually, as you get older, you gradually get larger and larger engine size that you can drive. So I thought it was pretty cool when I was 15 and now I could drive a Sea-Doo. So you graduate from the larger... <laughs> Dream big. You go to the larger boats and then you graduate to a car when you're an adult, right? Although to be fair, in Canada, the driving age is also quite young. About, I think I got my learner's permit when I was 14 and a half, almost 15, and then my full license when I was 15 and 16. That's, that's so, cool. Yeah. That's yeah, because density of the people, there's nobody on the road. You can do whatever you want. So let kids drive. Who gives well, they just them. put everything so far away. What are you going to do? Walk? All right. So the... Today's topic, if I'm going to call it a topic, is because we haven't defined the topic really, is all about freelancing. As we heard, Erin uh, is a freelancing specialist. Tom is also doing a lot in the freelancing space. And I'm going to mention your newsletter again because I'm a nice guy. Tom has a newsletter as Breaking Freelance. So either one of you start us off. I used to be a freelancer, but now I'm working a company, so I'm Pretty much going to be on the side throwing it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to let Aaron start because uh, I'm interested to hear what does a freelance specialist do? Because I can talk about what I do for hours and I don't want to steal the show. So how about Aaron, you talk? Absolutely. Well, I'm also going to shamelessly plug my yes, newsletter, <laughs> which is freelance-focus.com, where myself, John Younger, and Matthew Matola, we write about all things freelance economy. Um, so a freelancing specialist, what is that? Uh, not only am I drinking my own Kool-Aid, I'm a freelancer within the freelance economy, 
but uh, the freelance economy is basically reporting on all things like talent platforms, government and legislation, uh, enabling independents to run their own careers and navigate complex tax situations, everything. So um, to date in the past gosh, seven or eight years I've been in this space. My reach is about 3 million independents. I've worked with people in over 190 countries um, and really just trying to figure out ways that people can kind of have their cake and eat it too. You get to be an independent and pick your projects, but you also get support through communities, platforms, lead generation systems, and even you know local tax and accounting support. So you can have kind of the benefits of not being entirely independent because I think a lot of people say freelancing is independent or alone. And I think the three of us definitely know that's not the case. Freelancers, if anything, support each other, have more community, interact with each other, collaborate better, communicate better than anyone in any other type of workforce. So that's really what I do in the freelance economy and space is I get to help people around the world really take control of their careers. So if I may, on what you said, just add, uh, before COVID, uh, with a friend, I had a community here in London for independent people. And we had a little tagline said, we perform alone, but thrive in a community. And I think that describes us pretty well. Uh, we shut that down during COVID, but now it's kind of restarting. But uh, since you mentioned uh, that you're writing a newsletter and it's three of you, if I may pick your brain, I'm kind of interested where does your kind of, I want to phrase this properly. So when I work with on anything, I like working with people. This is why I'm doing this with Mario, right? And where, what do you think that comes from, right? In terms of freelancer that I met, everybody works with someone, right? Nobody's truly independent. Why do you think is so? Well, I think it's simply the nature of work in general. A lot of things, especially remotely, are done collaboratively. But I also think that most freelancers, they've developed that skill of being able to immediately integrate, figure out what problems actually are, and able to diagnose solutions because you're really coming in in more of a projectification type of a manner to most jobs, which means there is an end goal or a solution. And so you really get the knack of talking to somebody once and figuring out what the root cause of things are. And ultimately, if you do that with people as well, then you figure out someone how someone ticks, you figure out how to connect with each other. So I think this is a, a honed craft and skill that freelancers have to develop in their professional world that ends up branching out into their personal world. So because of that, it's so much easier for them to connect with each other. And also because they're collaborating so effectively, it's just a lot easier to lean on one another. Um, that's my hypothesis anyways, but I'd love to hear what you guys think Do on that. Do you think it's a learned <laughs> skill or is something that people are kind of born with or you can transfer that knowledge? I like any skills, it's both, right? Like some people just have a natural aptitude for certain things and I think it comes easier, but people can learn and develop skills with time, practice and effort, right? So um, some people learn lessons the hard way and some people just naturally can get the knack of it. All right, Tom, tell me tell me a hard lesson you learned in the space recently then with that oh, point. Oh, uh, <laughs> I have the most recent one is, uh, I decided this year I'm gonna refocus my career, right? I don't wanna be a designer anymore. I decided I'm gonna go into coaching space and thinking, oh, I've been a designer, uh, I've been a freelancer for so long. How hard can it be to find a client, right? I thought it's gonna be easy peasy lemon squeezy. Turns out it's hard, hard, lemon hard. And uh, uh, what I did is misidentified my target and then I did what I've been later 
told I did all of the rookie mistakes one can do, right? I did all of them. And, uh, but one thing that I took with me from before is when I realized this is not working, reached out to people that uh, I know could help me. And I even reached out to some people that I haven't met personally before, uh, but kind of approached them with the same style that I love when people approach me. So like, hey, I see you're in the space that you're doing the things that I want to do and uh, I suck at it. And what can I do? And I had some really amazing people help me out. So I learned everything that I did wrong in the past six months and I have an opportunity to fix that. So, but that was, a, a, I think the hardest lesson was thinking that some of the skills and knowledge is transferable between careers when it's not. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that at the moment. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting too, because something that I think is a hard skill to learn and isn't just hard for freelancers or anyone, but it's kind of like being able to call your own baby ugly <laughs> is like, I think when people kind of hold on to like stubbornness and pet projects and things and can't actually see what's wrong with it, they'll just never improve. Right. And I think, especially as a designer, this is probably something that you've learned quite well is that like critiques are just inherently part of the job and people have a lot of feedback. So not all roles are built the same, but as a designer, I think that was probably a boon to you to be able to identify that earlier, that it's just not yeah, working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, well, since you mentioned design, I, when I was younger and it was years ago, I, and I think this is a problem with a lot of younger designers. And this is what I, when I, when I work with designers, this is the first thing you need to let go is you being identified with your project. You are not your project and vice versa. And, and when I was young, somebody says this design sucks. It doesn't mean, Hey Tom, you suck. And it's like, Oh, they, they don't know. I, they, I built this. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, I don't, I don't care. You, I built something. You say this sucks. No problem. Trash it. Build another one. I don't care anymore. And with, with, with that being the case, it's so easy to kind of detach and say, this is me, this is my work and not being married to your work can then you can look at it objectively, especially design and stuff that is very subjective. Yes, Mario. But it's, but it's probably interesting because I mean, I've learned this on my skin. You've learned this on your skin and probably you've learned this on your own skin. And it's funny now when you see other people, you know, coming to you either for advice or for feedback or for whatever, or even in work, you know, and then asking you, hey, what do you think of this? And then you kind of give them bad feedback, but like direct feedback with arguments. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, that feedback doesn't Yeah, don't apply. defend <laughs> it. Don't, don't, yeah. I mean, well, if you want to, you can defend it, but it's not the way to go forward. The way to go forward is understand what I want to say, weigh whether my arguments make sense. If they do, fix it. If they don't, tell me, you know, if they don't, but like, Defending it just for the ego's sake is not what I say. Sorry, I think ego. No, no, please go. Please go, Aaron. Oh, sure. I was going to say, I think ego is also not the same in every role. So, something that's probably biased in this conversation is the three of us have lived in the tech sector for a while, building digital products. And, you know, um, I've had the pleasure of working with a number of different freelance talent platforms that have different skills, some with software developers and designers, but others for business and management consultants or finance experts or pet service providers like rumors and veterinarians and the level of ego and ability to create even community from that aspect, I think is different because if you look at a business and management consultant, there's not a ton that's a discernible difference between one or the other. It is a lot more subjective than it is objective. And yes, there's some personal preference in our space, but you know, 
code either works or it doesn't. <laughs> so some things just simply aren't. And I think part of that ties back into community too, is people who don't have a lot of ego, they're willing to reach out like you did, Tom, and saying, hey, you do this really well. I don't do this as well. And let's learn from each other in different ways. And uh, I think that, you know, that is something that a lens on the three of us are probably a little bit more apt to yep. do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's a, I'm going to plug this guy. Uh, he, his name is Matej Latin. He's a Slovenian guy built a UX course uh, and launched it recently. So I applied to his newsletters and stuff. And he emailed the, his entire list like, hey, give me your feedback. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And me being someone who writes a newsletter, I know that people almost never reply when you ask them to give you some feedback or anything. So I get on, on like my 500 readers, I get like open rate is like a little bit over 50%. And I get maybe one reply every other email. So that's like nothing. So I replied. And say like, hey, uh, I know why you're doing this. I enjoy your work. Uh, I'm replying because I know basically no one replies. And I was being completely honest. I said like, I do not need your course. I don't need a UX course, right? But I wanted to see how you approach your audience. How do you market your course? So I wanted to learn from you. And he replied a couple of days later, like, oh, thank you very much. Hope you learned it. Like there was like, no, like, oh, he's stealing from me, right? It was like, I think you do this better than me. Uh, the stuff that he's doing is amazing. And I want to see how you do it. And I want to learn it from the inside. And that's, that's a completely, uh, I think, healthy approach. So we kind of touched based into an interesting topic, uh, doing all of this. And it's basically that if you're a freelancer, uh, like the, the, the rules of the game, at least from my point of view, are the following. If you're a freelancer, then what you claim you know how to do, you know how to do. Like, I believe you. If you, weren't, if you didn't know how to do that, then you wouldn't be in the freelancing space. So, uh, uh, And if I'm proving wrong, then I'm never going to work with you again. And that's it. That's the easy way out. The thing that kind of differs the better ones from the worst ones are A, the ability to, put in, to be able to put your ego aside, B, the ability to be honest and open and frank and direct in communication, C, what would you add? Tied closely to that is probably thirst for knowledge and learning and like ongoing professional development tied to those two other things is what ultimately is going to help you run your business better, command higher rates, uh, be able to evolve your client base or retarget effectively. So um, I don't see a lot of employees that are seeking out consistent professional or skill development in any way close to the amount that freelancers are, whether that's through tactical deployment of just simply trying something new as Tom did with launching uh, you know, a new path in his career or someone who's actively taking a course on Coursera or Udemy or anything like that to gain more specific technical skills in their broader scope of work. So um, at least in, in my thinking, that's probably the third how, one. What do you think? I want to ask, I'll tell you what I think, but I want to ask you first, how would you, yeah. what would be your advice for people who are doing this? How do, how do you actually track progress? How do you know that you're getting better and involving your skill and so on? Apart from getting better clients, getting paid more, right? What, what would be the metric? You say, okay, I've grown as a freelancer in the last year because of A, B, and C. Yeah, um, I think a big part of it is, I mean, it sounds fluffy, but sentiment, right? Like sometimes being a freelancer, starting a business is a real slog and it's challenging. And there's kind of like the trough of despair, right? Of like, did I make a mistake? Is it easier to go back and be an employee? All of this, you question a lot. And so I think that level of confidence is probably a really good indicator. 
And the other is, I think as you build out your book of business, the ease of completing projects is also easier. If you go, oh, I remember I used a slide with that other client, I'm gonna repurpose that template. Or, oh, I've got some base code here, I'm gonna repurpose that there. This client didn't love that logo, but it's perfect for this one. Um, and so I think that that kind of adds to that level of ease and confidence and stress reduction. And uh, John Younger, who is a Forbes contributor and my partner in Freelance Focus, he wrote a piece recently called The Four Stages of Early Freelancing. And he kind of talks a little bit about this too. They surveyed a whole bunch of different freelancers in a number of different skill sets. Uh, and basically said, what are the first few years of freelancing actually like? And it does look like this. <laughs> There's a big dip <laughs> in the early days where you're excited, you're starting something new and you go, holy shit, this is hard. Uh, and then you go, hey, actually, I love the freedom. I love everything else. So I think that you know that you're doing the right things as you can overcome some of those barriers and you feel more ease and you feel more confidence. I, I agree. I would like to add two things. One is, yes, it's hard. The, the, the despair happens. But one thing that I like to say, people who are starting out, you have to know that it's going to be hard, right? And then I heard this from Alex Hormozzi a couple of days ago. He said, it's hard, but this is what hard feels like. Like, I knew it's going to be hard. And you just have to remind yourself, like, while it's hard, this is what hard feels like. So you have to push through it, right? So you have, you have to be okay with shit being hard. And then the second thing is on growing and, and evolving your skill and I can I'm gonna draw this from uh, from my stand-up career because I think it's easily applied to to anything but first thing you'd have to be is like you like you said you have to let go of your ego and you have to be your own critic but not in a way that it deters you from growing right you don't shit on yourself but you have to know that there are areas where you can grow but you have to accept that you are not good so there you always have to grow right from as a designer when i look any of my work from six months ago everything's shit right and the things i do today is amazing everything else sucks and the further away i go the more earlier things suck right and and when i was doing stand-up what what i did is when i would go on stage i would always turn on uh, voice recording on my phone, right? So I would record every performance. And because I'm doing for two months, I'm doing the same set. I can tell you that set num performance number one and performance number eight are vastly different. It's the same material, but it's so much polished and better and rehearsed and so on. And then I would go to like a theater and perform the same set. I was like, oh, this was amazing. Six months later, I'm performing in another theater. And I'm just going to listen to the recording to remind myself. And in those six months, the, the growth was so much... So much things happened, so much improved. I was listening to something that I thought was amazing six months ago. And it's like, it's so cringe, I couldn't even listen. Like, you thought this was funny? And it's it's never ending. So you never reach that, oh, now I'm this, now I'm at the top. The, the top does not exist. It's an endless mountain, and it's always a climb. And you have to be okay with that. But I mean, for me, that's the part of the, the, the fun of it. Like, uh, when I wanted to, I quit a job at a company, and I wanted to go on my own. I want to go on my own because when things get hard and when I mess up and when I'm in trouble, my fault. It's all me. When things are high life, everything's going great, I have an amazing client, the money's boring, that's also all me. So basically, everything is all me and it's as good as I can make it happen. So even when it's, you know, going down, it's not like despair. Oh my God, this is the horrible, you know, God is not on my side. Zeus is not on my side. The flying spaghetti monster is not on my side. Like, no, it's me, it's not going well, but I am the one who can turn it around. This is why I went into this thing. So 
That despair, I don't know, the despair, the valley of despair is a good word. Well, the secret is, you are your own spaghetti monster, right? So, we are all spaghetti monsters. (laughs) I don't want to use any other words. I don't want to, you know, offend a minority or something. So, spaghetti monster. More protein, eat less carbs. (laughs) Exactly. Extra meatballs. (laughs) Extra meatballs. All right. So, uh, Erin, you are now working more on sort of helping, uh, how to say properly, established freelancers or people who have been in the game for a while uh is what you do apply applicable to newcomers in the freelance industry or should they turn elsewhere or i think you know a lot of my work is more with the talent platform level and platforms aren't necessary i think for many freelancers in order to get work but especially as an early stage freelancer getting leads is hard. And so this is why a lot of people do go to the Upworks and the Fivers um, and the Andellas and Rings, Torx, TopTal, all the blue tees. Uh, and they go there to find leads and to get work. And some of them focus exclusively on senior um, senior skill set people. And some of them are also very open to juniors. Like Andella has a really robust uh, junior developer training program. So what I do is I work with them to develop community initiatives and community is not necessarily just holding hands and singing Kumbaya. It's actually career support and development because there's an aspect in the industry. It's called multi-tenanting. And this is any time that someone's on many platforms. So I was working with a company. uh, We did a very large community survey recently and 76% of the respondents are active on at least one other talent platform. And the average number that they're active on is four in total. So three include three plus the one that, Uh, the survey went through. And so the concept of community is how can we provide so much value to these users and independents that it's foolish for them to go anywhere else? So can we help them become public speakers and build a personal brand? Can we help them learn and upskill new technical skills? Because there's always a new digital framework coming out or a new skill that's coming out. Uh, Can we help them run their businesses better and more effectively? And all of these things are valuable, I think, to newcomers and to people who are a little bit more senior in the career who maybe just don't have those skills. Um, So while I might not work directly with freelancers one-on-one, sometimes I get the pleasure of doing so. Um, And I know, Tom, this is maybe where you're a little bit closer to people. I'm one level removed, but my programs that I try to develop with these platforms to make them ROI positive so they continue to provide value over time, you know, they do have a large reach in different ways where everyone can benefit regardless of where you are in your journey because you know, boomerangs happen too. Like Mario, you're a great example. You're an employee and then you went independent and then you started your business. And so freelancing is not a one-way track where people like have a come to Jesus moment and quit their job. And then now they're a freelancer for the rest of their life. The real answer is that people freelance on the side and they moonlight or they become into their, uh, like an employee because they fall in love and go in-house with a customer and they come in and out in different ways. And so you need these things of going, oh shoot, have been a freelancer in five years what's different in landscape, how do I do that? So these types of programs help anyone where they are in that, that aspect. And I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you about, um, since you said you work for like on a platform level, uh, recently I joined a platform that uh, we don't have to mention now, but I kind of feel that a lot of effort goes into this community building, like we are here for you, providing all of this da 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 da, which is cool, but there, it's like, one job ad comes every two days, right? So it's like a lot of effort goes into, we are building this community of de- designers and developers and we have one job ad a day. Like you first, I think you need to give people money. This is why they will stay, right? So it kind of feels that uh, 
maybe they need your help. <laughs> maybe they need uh, they need help in sales and bringing more projects in. But it, yeah. it kind of feels that a lot of effort goes into this. We are a community. We are amazing. We do all this cool shit. Give us our feedback on how we're doing as a community. Like I haven't got a single job from you guys in three months. So like I don't I don't actually yes. don't care. And part of what I do is is that it's having like a bit of a like real conversation with platforms of going like you hired me to come in and do community, but community doesn't put food on the table. And quite frankly, there's a lot of free communities out there that are very specific to skills. You have designer hangout that is what really close to 50,000 UX designers these days, uh, Jacob's community. And that's free and it's not tied to a platform. It's not tied to work. So they're not going to come to you for any type of community and, you know, fun events or like, you know, if you buy them a beer, it doesn't give them rent, right? <laughs> Ultimately, a lot of community has to tie in with the rest of the wheels working properly. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the base level is, am I safe? Can I eat something, right? And if you're not providing cash for people to live their lives, then it doesn't matter if you have self-actualization where you're mentoring new people, right? Like you need to solve uh, the problems first, like be an aspirin, not a vitamin. And so I think you know, it's a tough market, first of all, right now, a lot of people are having a tough time getting leads. But also, I think the strongest communities are those where companies are actually open, honest, and realistic about what the expectations are, not making false promises, because the important cornerstone of community is trust. And if someone keeps saying, there's more jobs, there's more jobs, but you log in and none of them are there, why would you stick around for anything, really? Yeah. But I mean, this this is a situation where when I was freelancing uh, uh, a while back, uh, this was the situation, uh, the community, quote unquote, built itself because there was good, meaningful work. So people who have adopted the platform early came in and said, hey, come join this platform. There's good, meaningful work that can put food on the table. And that's what got us joined into the platform and then the community kind of started growing itself like hey do you want to go for a beer and let's talk about your experience with your client and my experience with my client and how you made your experience better and how i made my and then we figure okay there's like 50 of us in town let's you know go go karting and then we call the platform and say okay pay for a go karting and they did but uh, uh the fact is that it all started from this puts good food on the table you know this gets meaningful work with normal clients uh, where the budget is good, the projects are realistic, the expectations are realistic, everything is set in place, payments are easy, all is nice, all is safe. Yeah, when you have that part of the thing that the platform does, which should be the like primarily thing a platform should do, then everything else comes into place. I'm, fairly, I'm, I'm, fairly it's funny how none of us are naming the platform, uh, but do you, do you know who organized? Do you remember who organized the go karting tournament? It was me. Wasn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> and then it was it was a go karting tournament, which was I, uh, Aaron. I don't I don't really like cars. I don't give a shit about things that run on an engine. Uh, but pri primary thing for me was go kart tournament. Cool. But then we went and had those one meter pizzas. That was the important part for me. That was like yeah yeah go karting but pizza. And yeah, they, they paid for yeah. it. And the the pizza could have, yeah, it probably came out of my budget. <laughs> could be. Maybe this is when we talked, when I, when I got approved for the budget. But I don't think it came out of your budget. I don't think you were in charge Maybe. of that yet. Yeah. So just to let everybody know, we are talking about the platform called 
TopTel. And I'm going to mention the name of the platform TopTel because when we were working in the platform TopTel, it was amazing. And I know the all three of us are happily remembering our time at TopTel because it's been amazing. I haven't really used TopTel much uh, uh, for the last few years, except that I won a chess tournament in the TopTel community. Uh, that could have been my random fact. Damn it, I'm going to use it for the next show. But uh, I do remember my time in TopTel amazingly. I do remember my colleague from TopTel amazingly. And as you can see, I'm still in really good relations with uh, quite a few of them, hence Erin being on our show. So, uh, uh, yeah, TopTel is a valuable uh, experience. I agree. Yeah, and, and to be honest, they were really groundbreaking in many ways. And, you know, there's so many different players in the space now. And, you know, they get to be niched out in different spaces. But a lot of the model after TopTel, whether it's for... Uh, marketers or anything, right? Uh, because if you can democratize opportunity in that way, uh, freelancers can now work with enterprise clients that they would never pass the 12 month plus vendor onboarding just so someone can get paid. So having those high quality career opportunities is so important while someone's building up their personal portfolio of business and everything else. And having that diversity is I think something that attracts a lot of people to freelancing in general. Yeah, yeah. all the jokes aside, uh first couple of years in top of the world were amazing really work and uh yeah so so from your point of view should freelancers be turning to platforms or uh should they be turning to trying to find their own clients pluses and minuses you gotta do both right um because ultimately you can't well there was a stat recently i think it was um Maybe it was a report from Bamboo HR, I can pull it after, but it's like 75% of employees don't trust all of their income coming from one source anymore, especially after all these layoffs. And so I think you can't have all of your eggs come from one basket and you need to diversify. And, you know, especially in a global economic market, like right now, there's hiring freezes or everything else. It's hard to get work. So there's probably fewer roles on these platforms and more people who are applying or bidding on them. So you do need to kind of continue to generate your own book of business, but look at some of these platforms, see if there's something you're a great fit for, because you just never know. So it should be a pipeline of many different opportunities that come across. But um, I think that's kind of the plight of any freelancer is part of your role is doing the actual skill set that you're hired for. But part of your role is running a business. So where are you where are you getting the next job? So I have a I have a hypothetical question for both of you. Uh, Mario from a developer's perspective and Erin from a freelance perspective. So a hypothetical. Let's say that we have a person in their mid-30s who has a work career that is not in tech, but is uh, still a career with a lot of experience that is valuable and transferable, right? And they have skill for the last like three years of going through various courses and academies on coding and front-end and stuff like that. What would be your advice for that person how to approach finding a freelance position that it's maybe like part-time or something like that that can that they can have while they retain their primary career without you know starting at the bottom uh knowing nothing because they are not like 21 year old right so so they do have experience but they never had any like real big projects behind them in world of tech and development like what would be the best approach yeah I mean, I know that a lot of it is going away now, but competitive programming is a great way for people to hone in on their skills, get a few projects in their portfolio and earn some cash, right? There's still some of these big platforms around like TopCoder where you can go and you can you know, submit projects and learn from other people. Um, so it's a great way where, especially if you are working a full-time other role, you know, 
taking on another part-time or hourly gig can add a lot of stress. Not everyone in their mid-30s have the luxury of working 60 hours a week, right? And so the beauty of competitive programming is you can do a sprint for a week, submit for a deadline, and then you can take a couple weeks off and, and try to go about it that way. Um, so that's one option. Um, I don't know, Mario, what else comes to mind? So I don't know what, I mean, you can, you have to apply to, to, to people, to companies and say, hey, I want to do this. I can do this. But from a developer point of view, in order to have something to show, you need a GitHub account, and that GitHub account has to show some code. And uh, I can share, maybe that's not a topic for this show, maybe it is, it can take a while, but like have a GitHub, make it nice and tidy, make your commits nice, have a readme, deploy it somewhere. If I'm uh, interviewing for a position, regardless whether it's a part-time position, an hourly position, but if you show me that, if you show me this is what I've done, I can show you the code, I can talk to you about the code. I've even written a nice clean article about the code, what it does, what I've learned from it, what is the cool thing and things like that. That puts you in my eyes like way, way, way in front of everybody else. And then if I see what you can do and if I need somebody, hey, can you jump in on this project for like 10 hours? I'd rather call you than you know, make an ad and then go through a process of interviewing like that. So uh, in development, I don't know how this works in, in other areas but like in development your github is your cv and if i see you know the the area with the commit tiles if i see that you're being committing every day then i know that you're passionate about the job and i know that you're doing something on a daily basis and therefore you are getting better because you're doing something on a daily basis and if i see like 10 repos that you've done that means that you're passionate in doing something so i can count on you if I see an empty GitHub and, uh, you know, empty that you haven't committed anything in the last two years, yeah, n n not really. So, like, you know, if you are looking for a part-time gig on the side and everything, you need to have your resume polished up. And as I said, in development, your GitHub is your resume. Yeah, and to extrapolate that into other kind of skill sets or areas, um, what Mario's talking about is basically, like, what is your freelancer personal brand? And what assets do you have to prove either your thought leadership, your technical skills, or any projects that you can really highlight? Like, show me your brag book. This is not the time to be humble. Uh, so for people who you know, aren't technical or going to be coding onto GitHub, there's plenty of websites like Card, C-A-R-D-D. -D. Um, you can go to Contra that does very specific profiles for writers, creatives, and marketers. And there's all different types of portfolio tools that you can use. You know, there's Behance and Dribble for uh, designers that you can be on. So the earlier that you can put yourself out there and say, I am a freelancer, the more leads will come through. Even something as simple as changing your LinkedIn to I am open for, to work. And I think there's even an option of I am open to freelance and contracting work or I provide services. You will start to get inbound leads from this. It's, you know, not something that's going to happen overnight. But, you know, if you write an article here or there, if you do a commit here or there, these are all things that you can share on these different platforms that make you seem active, open to work someone who's easy to collaborate with. I can understand your communication skills. So start these little pieces while you're working another job. And that's slowly going to grow into more opportunities in a direct fashion where your cost of acquisition is fairly low. You're doing them anyways. You're not paying for ads or you're not offering up margin to a platform, but you need to start building that brand. And it doesn't need to be a big, fancy, flashy brand. It doesn't have to be fluffy. Just be authentic, show your work and display it correctly. And you used an interesting term. You said it makes you seem like you're a good person to color. But if you do it over time, you are. then it will actually <laughs> turn you into a person. That's, you know, it's not, 
you know, on day one, it might make you seem, but like on day 100, it's going to actually make you into a person. If you are, you know, thinking about tech and writing about tech and committing code and everything, in 100 days, you're not like somebody who seems to be, you are somebody who's yeah. easy to work yeah. with. So uh, uh, consistency, long-term effort, and yeah, promote your it's skills. It's really interesting, because I think if we come full circle in this conversation, at the beginning of the, the talk, we talked a little bit about ego, and it's important to set your ego aside. But I think it's also important to like hype yourself up. And I think it's really hard for some people who might not be used to being the center of attention or might not be used to selling themselves to actually start doing this. It can be very uncomfortable. And so you kind of have to fake it till you make it or put yourself out there um, and get good feedback in different ways. So you kind of have to balance a little bit of this, like be humble enough to learn, but also like gas yourself up, get out there. Like you're doing things that are special and unique that a bunch of people aren't even doing. So just like start. Yeah, yeah. you said uh, you, you used the word personal branding, which I think uh, at least from a couple of conversations I had with people is that it kind of got tainted with people seeing personal branding means I have to be that sleazy influencer type person that says like, hi, this is my day of working in Instagram. Like, Ugh. like it's not that. Like you don't have to share what type of fucking blood that you drink to be a developer, right? You can, you can still write an article about shit that you did and it doesn't make you that person on Instagram. Right, and it's kind of like when I think of Tom, what do I think of? That's really what it is, is when I think of Tom and I see a LinkedIn post, I go, oh, Tom's a really great designer. He helps other freelancers. He's a thought leader in the space. And these are all th like themes that you want people to start associating with you. It doesn't mean you have to be the big, you know, boisterous influencer marketer. You just want people to get an idea of who you are and what you're trying to do. That's what personal branding really is, is how do you convey who you are to the world? And that can be packaged in an infinite number of ways. As long as you're sharing it and not and not, not sharing it. And I, I think I said this before, Mario, excuse me, but I have to repeat this because it bears repeating. When I was getting married, we were looking for a photographer and uh, I was working out with a personal trainer with another person, she was a photographer. And I asked like, where can I see your work? Like we are hiring a photographer. Can you give me your Instagram? She's like, I don't have an Instagram. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, like your 500 pixels or Facebook or she's like, oh, I do not believe in social networks and it, blah, blah, blah. it's like, well, uh, where can I see your work? Oh, there's a cafe at the other end of the city that displays my work. I was like, I'm not going like, oh, and she didn't get hired. So, so just be out there, like, he exists somewhere. And, and share your stuff. But going back to all of this, like if you're sharing that you're amazing and if you're doing something and then you actually end up getting hired, <laughs> then you got to deliver. So like deliver on everything that you've promoted that you can actually do. That's well, you, you have to go on and ruin the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but also I'm like, sorry. I'm all for people punching above their weight, to be honest. Like, if you think that you're not ready or something, you know, not capable of doing the job, bid on it anyways, because half the time people put these extremely unreasonable needs for projects and everything or for profiles to hire someone. And it's just not an actual requirement. So I think that's the first aspect is those requirements might not even be real. The second aspect, we talked about community. Pull in members of your community, subcontract out to somebody else. If you're a developer, you probably should have a good designer on hand or a good copywriter that can help you make a website or some product copy. Formulate kind of your like freelancing boutique, if you will, and be able to pull in other people. So that instead of just, you know, closing a deal where you're writing a subsection of code, you're actually able to bid on building an entire website. And so like 
yeah, go for it. Like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Is you pull in other people and your margin's a little bit lower, but you learned a lot. Okay, well, fuck it. That was still worth it. Agreed. No, Sorry. No, no, I'm not editing. We are not editing out any fucks and shit. Please, please do. Uh, but, but we should have told her that in advance. This conversation might have been. We can always have Aaron back again. I think we have a lot more to discuss. But I'm trying to be mindful of the time. We're like over 40 yes. minutes mark now. So, uh, Aaron, we, we told you at the beginning, we are wrapping up with a, with a terrible joke. So you have the honors and go with the first one. All right. Well, we're talking about careers. So I've got like a career dad joke for you. It's like, I used to be a banker, but I lost interest. Well, 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 that's jokes. good. That's, uh, <laughs> Mario? It's as expected. Right. It's on brand. It's very on brand. So. I thought that the price of a chimney was nothing because it was on the house, but apparently it's through the roof. <laughs> oh yeah, that's horrible. Uh, I have one that is kind of, uh, it's a joke, but it's also a fun fact about me as well. It's uh, I'm great at multitasking. I can waste time, be unproductive and procrastinate all at the same time. That's my super skill. Can you make a course on that? Like oh, that? Uh, I could, but I couldn't be better. I just like I have other things to not do. So. Yeah. You had a beautiful chance to respond with, I no, could, no. but I'm going to uh, do it tomorrow. Aaron, we're going to stop recording now, but do not leave, okay? Because then we will lose the recording. So stay on the call. I'll Thank you for, for doing this. <laughs> uh, it was amazing to have you on. I hope we have you on another, another episode. Absolutely. Thanks for having cool. me. Bye, everybody.